Well, thank you for that kind introduction. It's great to be back again at First Evan. Um, I want to pray again. So would you pray with me? We pray, Lord of the Harvest, for Ukraine, for the people of Ukraine, for the believers in Ukraine. We pray for the country of Russia, for the people of Russia, for the believers in Russia. We pray for the nation of Israel, for the people of Israel, for the believers in Israel. We pray for the people in Gaza, for the believers there. Lord, we pray that these wars would end. We pray that the Lord Jesus Christ would be lifted up in ways that we can't even imagine through these terrible conflicts. And we pray that you would speak to us through your word tonight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, Sunday, I'm going to be giving a two-part series. First part Sunday morning, second part Sunday night, on the Old Testament book of Jonah. And the series is going to be titled, What Part of Go Don't You Understand? So I hope you will be back Sunday morning, Sunday night, to study God's Word in the Old Testament book of Jonah. The title for our Bible and missionary message tonight is open your eyes and look at the fields. And these words come directly out of the Bible that we're going to be looking at tonight in John chapter 4. But before we do that, I want to give you some good news and bad news tonight. I want to start with the good news. So here's the good news. The good news is that the percentage of people living in the entire world who claim to be personal followers of Jesus Christ has grown from 3% of the total world population to over 12% of the total world population in my lifetime. In 1945, the year that I was born, so now you know how old I am, there were 80 million true followers of Jesus Christ in the entire world. Today, in the year 2024, there are over 950 million true followers of Jesus Christ in the entire world. That is a growth of 3% to over 12%. And the percentage continues to go up. We are living in the most unprecedented time of spiritual harvesting the world has ever seen. More people are coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ right now than any other time in the history of the world. That is good news. Do you agree? Now the bad news. While we sit here tonight, nine out of every ten people living in the world 
are spiritually lost on their way to hell. And you passed some of those people on your way here tonight. Two out of every three people living in the world not only are spiritually lost, but have never once heard a clear explanation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No one has ever told them how they can be saved through faith in Christ. Two out of every three people, and you pass some of those people on your way here tonight. And one out of every three people living in the world not only is lost, not only has never once heard a clear explanation of the gospel, but one out of every three people living in the world right now has no one living near them who can tell them about the Lord Jesus. These people not only don't believe in Jesus, they don't know there's a Jesus to believe in. That's why First Evan has a missions conference. That's why First Evan supports missionaries. And by the way, thank you for honoring your missionaries. Thank you for having them stand tonight and saying to them, we love you, we want to help you, we want to pray for you. When I was a little boy, my dad said to me one day, son, if God calls you to be a missionary, don't stoop to be a king. I've never forgotten that. One out of every three still waiting to hear about Jesus for the first time. Now, with those words in mind, I want you to take uh, your Bibles, please, and turn to the Gospel of John, and we're going to begin reading in chapter 4 with verse 1. John chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. You watch while I read. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. By the way, I've sat on this well and I took a pebble and I dropped it in and I heard it hit the water 75 feet later. So she knew what she was talking about. The well is deep. Where can you get this living water? 
Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. And then she immediately changes the subject. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, she said, pointing to Mount Gerizim. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Or as it says in another translation, is not this the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. We'll stop our scripture reading there for just a moment. I never get tired of this story. I love this story. This passage has been called by Bible commentators the passage par excellence on the subject of personal evangelism. I have many books in my personal library on the subject of personal evangelism, and every one of those books talks about John chapter 4. In fact, the best contemporary treatment of John chapter 4 that I have ever read is in Paul Little's book, How to Give Away Your Faith. Anybody here ever read that? 
What a great book. I go back and read that book. I've read it many times. And he tells how Jesus here lovingly, tactfully, patiently, persistently speaks with this woman, draws her to a saving knowledge of himself. I love this passage. I'd love to preach on the verses that we just read. But I want to look at the verses that come next. So if you've got your Bible... Read with me now from verses 31 and following. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans came from that town, believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. I love John chapter 4. And when you look at John chapter 4, you see something very wonderful. But when you look more closely at John chapter 4, you discover that something is very wrong. When you look at Jesus, it's wonderful. But when you look at the disciples of Jesus, something is wrong. And so I want you to think with me in the next few minutes about the disciples of Jesus Christ, and I want us to see ourselves as reflected in the lives of the disciples, as we look into the mirror of God's word, I want you to see yourself as reflected in the life of the disciples of Jesus. Now, let's just remind ourselves who these gentlemen were. First of all, these were a group of men who knew the Lord. I would imagine most people sitting here tonight at First Evan would claim that you know the Lord. You probably wouldn't be here if that were not the case. Secondly, they not only knew the Lord, but they were walking with the Lord. They were seeking to spend time with the Lord every day and fellowship with the Lord. And that's probably true of most of you here tonight. And then thirdly, not only did they know the Lord, not only were they walking with the Lord, but they were actively engaged in the service of the Lord. They were seeking to serve the Lord in some tangible way. And even though all three of these things were true, something was wrong. And I want to give you tonight six words that I'd like you to write down. Six words, if you're taking notes, six words to write down. Six 
pegs, as it were, on which we're going to hang some spiritual truth. And the first word I want you to write down is the word value. V-A-L-U-E. Value. I would like to suggest to you tonight that the disciples of Jesus Christ in John chapter 4 had lost a proper sense of value. And we see that in verses 31 and 32. Look at the verses. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? What do these verses tell me? These verses tell me that the disciples had lost a proper sense of value. Write it down. Value. Now, with all due respect to the late octogenarian Clara Peller, anybody here remember who she was? Clara Peller, who became very well known and very well paid by making one simple sentence about one of our country's leading hamburger chains. She's the lady who said in the Wendy's ads, where's the beef? But with all due respect to her, she is not the first person who ever said that. It was the disciples. <laughs> Rabbi, eat something. Oh, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. What? Did somebody bring him some food while we were gone? Where's the beef? They don't know what Jesus is talking about here. Why? Because they've lost a proper sense of value. Now watch. Jesus has his mind on the spiritual. The disciples have their minds on the material. Jesus is interested in a soul, the disciples are interested in a sandwich. Master, eat. Oh, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. Did somebody bring us some food while we were gone? They've completely missed the point. They don't know what Jesus is talking about. Now let me ask you a question tonight, dear friends of First Evan, is there anything wrong with material things? No. Is there anything wrong with food? No, we just ate some good food. But now watch. In the value system of God, watch, spiritual things are always more important than material things. Spiritual things are always more important than material things. So what is it that has value for you? 
you know, you can't live overseas like my wife and I and our children did for many years and then travel around the world like I've been privileged to do, to be with missionaries in 83 different countries. You can't do that and then come back to America and never be the same again. I remember the first trip we made back to America after we were living on the mission field for four years and as I put my head on my pillow that night, I said to myself, we're back in America where want has become need, where luxury has become necessity, where privileges have become entitlements, where optional features have become standard equipment, and where even if you don't need something, you can always justify getting it by waiting until it goes on sale. What is it that's really important to you? What is it that really has value? Um, one of our team missionaries was a man named Rich Cannon who with his wife Carol went to e Indonesia to serve a cannibalistic tribe that had never been reached with the gospel. After serving there for a while, Carol came down with a rare tropical disease. There were no medical treatments in that remote part of the world, and so we brought them back to North America so Carol could get medical help, and it was going to take almost a year and while they were waiting for her to get better, uh, because Rich was a good speaker, we asked him if he would travel for the mission and, and speak in churches just like I'm doing tonight. And uh, can I tell you a little secret? This, this is Friday night, right? Can I tell you a little secret? Um, I always like to pray before I preach. But sometimes I want to go and pray again after I preach. Sometime after I preach, I don't want to talk to anybody. Now, I don't want anybody to feel, you know, bad if you say hello to me after I speak tonight or anything like that. And, and, and if I don't really want to talk to you, I'll just disappear anyway, so you don't have to worry about it. Uh, but sometimes after I've preached, I'm just so overwhelmed with the truth that we've been studying that I just don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to get away again. Well, Rich was speaking in a church, and um, one night he just poured his heart out about the unreached peoples of the world, people that are still waiting to hear about Jesus for the first time. 2,000 years since Jesus gave the Great Commission, so many people, 3 billion people still waiting to hear about Jesus for the first time. And he poured his soul out, and when, he, when the, the meeting was over, he was staying in the home of one of the elders and his wife, and he had come to the church in, in their car, and so after the meeting was over, they were driving back home, and he was in the back seat, and the, the elder and his wife were in the front seat. And on the way back to the house, the elder said, hey, Rich, while you were down at the church studying this afternoon, we, we got a little surprise, and, and we're going to get it ready for you when we get to the house. So when we get to the house, you just stay in the car, and we'll get it ready and then we'll tell you when you can come in. So Rich sat in the 
back seat of the car, and, and the man and wife went down the sidewalk and into the house. He saw the lights come on, and then pretty soon the front door opened, and the wife told Rich to come in, and so Rich went down the sidewalk, into the front door, down the hall, left into the living room, and there on the far wall of the living room was the surprise. It was a brand new wooden console entertainment system with a huge color television right in the middle. And the television was on. And the elder said, well, what do you think? And Rich said, it's beautiful. And the elder looked at his watch. He said, you know what? It's just about time for the evening news. Why don't we sit down and watch the news together? Now, I told you Rich was kind of wanting to, you know, kind of go off to his room and just be alone and, 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 you know, you don't want to offend your host, right? So he said, oh, okay. So there were two armchairs right in front of the entertainment uh, system. And uh, so the elder sat in one and Rich sat in the other and the news was on. And this was during the height of the Vietnam conflict. And an American reporter was riding in a reconnaissance plane and he was photographing an American bomber. And as his camera locked in on that bomber, you saw the great doors of the bomber open up and you saw the tons of explosives fall from that plane down, down, down. And with his, his zoom lens, he focused in on those bombs as they reached their target. And buildings and animals and people went in every direction, flames. And, and the missionary sat there, Rich sat there looking at that, and as he did, the elder in the chair next to him leaned forward, eyes big as saucers, and said this, look at that beautiful color. What's wrong with that man? He's lost a pop proper sense of value souls being blasted into eternity, and he's impressed with the color of his new television. What is it that has value for you tonight? Let's, let's go to the second word. Are you ready? They lost a proper sense of value. Secondly, they lost a proper sense of mission. Mission, M-I-S-S-I-O-N. Not missions, like we're talking about in this missions conference, but mission in the sense of purpose or reason for being. And I see that in verse 34. Look at verse 34 in John chapter 4. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I see here in this verse that the disciples have lost a proper sense of mission. Have you? Why are you here? You know, I, tra I flew on two planes to get here today. And uh, I've learned that if you don't talk to your seat partner within one minute of sitting down on a plane, chances are you won't talk the whole flight. So the minute I sit down, I start to talk. I mean, they can't get away. <laughs> and this is what I ask my seat partner. Let me suggest that you do this. I say, uh, hi, uh, are you going home or leaving home? That's an innocent question. And so they'll tell you one or the other and, and uh, talk about that a little bit. And then, um, and then I'll say, uh, 
what do you do? Now watch. If you say it that way and you underline the word you verbally in the sentence when you ask them that question. If you say, what do you do? After they tell you what they do, inevitably they look at you and say, what do you do? And so when they asked me that for years when I was, you know, the president at CIU, I would say, well, I'm, I serve at uh, Columbia International University. That's a, a Christian college with 2,000 students all studying the Bible, God's holy word, preparing to take the message of Jesus' love and forgiveness to the whole world. That started some interesting conversations. And then when I get my seat partner engaged in conversation, and by the way, it's not always easy to do that because some of them have earbuds on, and one of my partners today was carrying a little infant in her arms and so forth. But, you know, talk as much as you can. And uh, so uh, then I talked to, to my seat partner about three things. I talked to them about origins, purpose, and destiny. Now, I don't use those words. But I talked to him about origin, purpose, and destiny. Origins, where did we come from? Purpose, why are we here? Destiny, where are we going? I mean, I, I've never met a person in the world who's not interested in those questions. And if anybody's got the answer to those questions, it's Bible-believing Christians. And we need to ask ourselves those questions, especially the second one. Why are we here? Um, I don't know about you. Now, I'm, you know, my hair's gray and I'm getting older. And the older I live, the more I get homesick for heaven. Anybody like that here tonight? I want to go to heaven. I, I can't wait to get out of the, 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 the downward spiritual gravity of a sin-filled world and be with my Lord in heaven forever. Um, and amazingly, if I read my Bible correctly, Jesus wants me to be there even more than I want to be there. Uh, when the Bible talks about our relationship with the Lord, it describes us as the bride, and he is the bridegroom, right? And what is one of the main characteristics of brides and bridegrooms? They want to get together. Now, when I was a student at Columbia Bible College, now Columbia International University, we had a, uh, a rule that no students were allowed to get married during the school year. Uh, we just didn't want them to, you know, interrupt their studies with all the adjustments of getting married. So you were not allowed to get married, if you were a student at Columbia Bible College, you were not allowed to get married uh, during the school year. You wouldn't believe all the weddings that took place on graduation day. I mean, and some of the weddings took place right in the chapel where the graduation had just been held. And the bride and groom are down there pushing people out the doors, bringing in the palms. The bride's practically running down the aisle. Well, of course, that's the way it's supposed to be. So if we want to be with the Lord, and he even wants us to be with him more than we want to be with him, why has he left us here? And the answer is because there's a mission to be performed. So we were missionaries in Italy. 
And we lived in a big city. Do you know why we lived in a big city? Because that's where people are. That's what missionaries go to do. They go to reach people. And we lived in a high-rise apartment building because that's where people are. And I never lived in a high-rise apartment building before. I, I grew up in suburban America. And uh, we were on the fifth floor, and we had a balcony. We had two little uh, girl toddlers, and I worried sick that they were going to, you know, fall off the balcony. And, and, um, and we... Um, we could hear the people next door whenever they flushed their toilet. We could smell their smoke when they lit up their cigarettes. And I had to teach the kids how to play soccer in the parking lot. There was no green area. You know, bank the balls off the cars. Um, and that was, that was our missionary life. And, and it was great. And, and then after 13 years, the, the mission board, uh, the board of directors uh, contacted us and said they felt that God would have me be the next director of the mission. Um, and that was a hard decision. And we talked to our home sending church, we talked to the missionary team that we had recruited that was working with us, and, and eventually we, we did make that decision to come back to North America to lead the Bible Christian Union. And um, I will admit to you that after that decision was made and I started thinking about coming back to America, I was thinking to myself, huh, America, we're going to go back to America. Um, like maybe we'll have a single family dwelling. Uh, um, maybe we'll have a yard. Maybe I'll have a garage. I can, I can, you know, I can put my car inside. Um, so we came back, and we were living in the mission headquarters in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and I went out doing house hunting, and, and um, one day I was out, and I found the perfect place. Now, we didn't have enough money to buy, so we had to rent, and, um, but I found this house that was for rent. It's hard to find houses for rent when you've got children, but we, we found this house. I found this house, and I mean, it was perfect. Okay, so it was... It was, there was an empty lot on both sides of the house. There was woods behind it. The public school was just across the street and down a little way so the kids could walk to school. Uh, it had a fully developed yard. The shrubs were fully grown. It had a two-car garage. It had enough bedrooms for my wife and me and our four kids. And it was just perfect. So I zipped back to the headquarters, and I got Annette and put her in the car. My wife's name is Annette. Got her in the car, and, and we drove over there, and we parked across the street, and I put the window down, and I said, so what do you think? And she said, oh, honey, I would never want to live there. I said, why not? And she said, there's no one to evangelize. I was stunned. Leader of a mission, forgetting the mission for which Christ has left us here in this world. So what did we do? We moved into a development. 120 units, all built by the same guy. Had to look twice before you went in, make sure it was yours. Families with little kids, day and night, riding up and down the sidewalks in plastic big wheels. And not long after we moved in, Sarah and Bill moved in across the street. Bill was a salesman for Fujifilm. 
right after they moved in. Annette left our front door, crossed the street, went over and knocked on their front door. Said, hi, I'm Annette. Um, I want to welcome you to the neighborhoods. Is there anything we can do to help you get settled? And on that first conversation, she looked at Sarah and she said, Sarah, have you ever studied the Bible? Sarah said, no. Annette said, would you like to study the Bible together with me? And this is what Sarah said. I've always wanted to study the Bible, and no one has ever asked me. So they began to study the Bible every week over in Sarah's kitchen. Several months later, I was in Southern California speaking all week to the students at Biola University. Had a great time out there. Loved the students, loved Southern California, but the highlight of the week had nothing to do with that. It was a long-distance phone call I got from Annette. She said, honey, I just calling to give you some good news. This afternoon over in Sarah's kitchen, she bowed her head and she bowed her heart and received Jesus into her life. Why do you live where you live? Why are you here? Have you lost a proper sense of mission? Let's go to the third word, all right? Number, number three, number one, value. Number two, mission. Number three, third word, vision. The, the disciples lost a proper sense of vision, and I see that in verse 35. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. What does this verse tell me? It tells me that the disciples lost a proper sense of vision. I was on the Pennsylvania Turnpike a couple years ago, and I had my cruise control on. I was going 65, and um, coming up on my left was this beautiful, brand-new black Cadillac, and it was going faster than me, and it, and it passed me, and, and I couldn't help but look again because it was, it was a brand new Cadillac. It was just gorgeous. And, um, and then I saw the bumper sticker. And it said on the bumper sticker, the Quran has the answer. The Quran has the answer. My dear friends in Memphis, the Muslims are here and they're not going away. At Columbia International University, we have the Zwamer Center for Muslim Studies. They got a phone call one day from a local church. I'm not going to get any more specific than that, but a local church in Columbia, South Carolina. The pastor said, you know, this last Sunday I got up to preach, and right as I got up to preach, a, a, a man walked in in the back. It was obvious he was from the Middle East because he was dressed in Middle East garb, and he had a, a, a covering on his head and a big swarthy beard, and he had a big legal pad, and he took notes furiously while I was speaking. And then after the sermon, he came down to the front, and he confronted me with what I was teaching from the Bible, and he kind of gave me a hard time, and some of the other elders kind of saw 
all this happening and they gathered around, you know, just to make sure nothing bad happened to me. And he said it kind of shook us. And so would you, would you be willing, if I got some of my pastor friends together, would you be willing to, to send a couple of your professors out and just talk to us for about an hour about Islam and, and what the Bible says? And, and our professors were thrilled. So 50 pastors got together. And our two teachers went out, and, they, and the whole idea of our center for, uh, for Muslim studies is how to present the gospel to Muslim people who need Jesus. And so uh, they gave about a 45-minute presentation, and then they opened it up for Q&A. And um, a pastor about three-quarters of the way back stood up, and he said, I think I speak for everybody here. I'd like to ask a question. My question is this. How can we get the Muslims to leave... And if they won't, how can we protect ourselves if they don't leave? What's wrong with that pastor? What's wrong with those pastors? They've lost a proper sense of vision. Here, Jesus, God, the Lord of the harvest, has brought the mission field to us. And we can look at that as, you know, a tide to be stemmed or a wave to be ridden. You know, my wife and I, uh, uh, there's maybe more than one person here tonight that has uh, contacts with Harvest Church here in, in uh, Memphis. And uh, my wife and I did, a, did a, a parenting seminar there in January for about uh, 300 young couples. And uh, 300 people, 150 young couples. And, um, and uh, before we went to do that, we wrote all of our kids and said, Mom and Dad are going to go, you know, and talk about parenting. And you kids, you know, we were your parents. So would each one of you write to us a couple good things we did and a couple bad things we did? And, um, and they did, unfortunately, both the good and the bad. And... Um, one of the positive things they said was the time we had the Muslim family over at Thanksgiving time. So we, we were living in Philadelphia, and we called up Temple University, and said, uh, and, which is not a Christian school at all, and we said, uh, uh, do you have any international students that wouldn't have a place to go during American Thanksgiving? And they, they gave us a couple from uh, uh, Bangladesh. His name was Waliul Islam. And they were a Muslim couple, and they came with their little girl, and they spent the whole day with us. Why not? Why not? Okay, let's go to the next word. The disciples lost a proper sense of value. They lost a proper sense of mission. They lost a proper sense of vision. Fourth word, they lost a proper sense of time, T-I-M-E. Look at verse 36. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life. What does this verse tell me? It tells me that the disciples have lost a proper sense of time. Jesus was saying to them, it's time for us to reach these people. And the disciples are saying, no, it's lunchtime. Now hold on to that and I'll give you a fifth word. Are you ready? Time. Next word, 
place, P-L-A-C-E. The disciples lost a proper sense of place. And to see that, we have to go back to the beginning of John chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Look at the words on the screen. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. You'll notice I've highlighted three geographical references. Judea, Galilee, Samaria. Okay, everybody look up here. I'm going to draw you a map of the Holy Land. All right, are you ready? Okay, so way up in the right-hand corner, there's a body of water, a body of water, a big lake, and that's called the Sea of Galilee, right? And then there's this little ribbon of water that comes down from it, and that's called the Jordan River, right? And then it, it goes into a big body of water down here, and that's called the Dead Sea. Everybody with me? All right, so the Sea of Galilee, Jordan River, Dead Sea. And then way over here is the shoreline of the Mediterranean Sea. Everybody with me? Okay, so and in the top, we have Galilee. That's way up at the top. In the bottom, we have Judea. And in the middle, we have Samaria. Now, what does it say? It says, Jesus is leaving Judea, so he's down here, and he's going up to Galilee, which is up there. Now, how do you get to Galilee from Judea? You go through Samaria, right? Wrong. No good Jew ever went through Samaria. The Jews have nothing to do with the Samaritans. We read that in the text tonight. So if you were a good Jew, what did you do when you were going on a trip from Judea to Galilee? You would hop across the Jordan River, go up the east side through Perea, and when you got far enough north to be above Samaria, you hopped back over into Galilee. That's what all the Jewish people did. So can you imagine how scandalized the disciples of Jesus were when he said, we're going to go through Samaria? Lord, Judea, that's fine. Galilee, that's fine. Samaria, no, that's not the right place. That's the part of town you don't drive through. And if you do, you make sure your windows are up and your doors are locked. Any place in Memphis that you just rather not go? Columbia International University, where I've served for 18 years in the leadership. We are known as a school that trains young men and women to go to the mission field. And they come and they talk to my wife and me about that. And we love talking with them about that. But one of the things I tell all the students at CIU that are planning to go to the mission field is this, listen carefully. If you're not a missionary here, you won't be a missionary there. And if you're not a missionary now, you won't be a missionary then. The devil, and I'm gonna talk about the devil on Sunday night as we study the book of Jonah, but the devil, and I believe in the existence of a personal devil who is willing that all should perish and that none should come to repentance. The devil will never, never come to a Bible-literate 
first Evan church member, he will never come to you and say, it's wrong to share your faith with other people. He'll never tell you that. What he will tell you is this. Don't do it here. And don't do it now. I mean, for goodness sake, this is a Kroger grocery store. This is a Starbucks coffee place. This is a public school. This is a middle school soccer game. This is a Planet Fitness Center. Not here. Not now. All right, let's review. Let's review. The disciples lost a proper sense of value. What's really important to you? Number two, the disciples lost a proper sense of mission. Why are you here as a redeemed sinner in a fallen world? Thirdly, the disciples lost a proper sense of vision. Do you see all the people around you? Some of you may be thinking tonight, you know what, I thought Dr. Murray was going to talk about faraway places, and he keeps talking about Memphis. I don't like that. If you're not a missionary here, you won't be a missionary there. If you're not a missionary now, you won't be a missionary then. Nothing magic happens on the plane trip over when you're a missionary. You'll be the same person when you get off the plane that you were when you got on. Have you lost a proper sense of time now? Have you lost a proper sense of place here? Sixth word, last word, write it down. The disciples lost a proper sense of their salvation. S-A-L-V-A-T-I-O-N, salvation. Look at these verses. Look at this verse in John chapter 4. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Other translation, is not this the Christ? What does this tell me? This tells me that the disciples have lost a proper sense of their salvation. You say, what are you talking about, Dr. Murray? All right, here's, here's what's happening here. This woman, who is only hours old in her newfound faith in Christ, goes back to the town, gets everybody she can find, says, come with me, I want you to meet this man, he has transformed my life, and 12 men who know, uh, knew a lot more about Jesus than she did had just been in that same town, bought food, talked to the merchants, and evidently not one of them ever said a word to them about the fact that the Savior of the world was sitting on their doorstep. Why not? Because they'd lost a proper sense of their salvation. Are you thrilled to be saved? So I thought to myself, I wonder what they did talk about when they went into the town to buy food. So I made a list. Maybe they talked about Hunter Biden's laptop. Or maybe, maybe they talked about the dangers of artificial intelligence or the volcano eruption in Mexico or the first U.S. moon landing in over half a century. Or maybe they talked about Nick Saban's retirement. Or maybe they talked about Alexei Navalny's questionable death in Russia. Or maybe they talked about Taylor Swift mania or the ongoing Russian invasion of Ukraine or Israel's war with Hamas in Gaza or how Nikki Haley will do against Donald Trump in the primaries. Or maybe they talked about 
Iowa Hawkeyes basketball player Caitlin Clark, 22 years old, just about ready to pass Pistol Pete Maravich in total points scored for a college basketball player. I don't know what they talked about, but I know what they didn't talk about. Because they lost a proper sense of their salvation. Are you so excited about your faith in Christ and your relationship with Christ that you can't not talk to people about it? Now, I got one more slide. And, um, you know, a speaker has the option of leaving his notes and talking about something else. I was going to tell you about Lisa. Uh, Lisa is a woman in our neighborhood that I had the privilege of leading to Christ. It, it's an amazing story, but I'm not going to tell you that story tonight. I'll tell you personally if you want to ask me. And uh, she and her husband now have been studying the Bible with us and so forth. But um, I want to tell you about Evelyn. So just pretend Lisa is Evelyn. <laughs> and uh, my dad was an evangelist. And my dad preached the gospel all the time. And, and he had just finished a whole week of meetings in the southeast. And he was heading up to New England for another week of meetings. And he had to fly. And he, he was really tired when he got to the airport. And it was an open seating flight. Now, they don't do that anymore, but back then, if they didn't have a lot of passengers, they'd just say, you can sit where you want. And so my dad was thrilled. So he picked a, a row of three seats. He put his hat on the, on the aisle seat. He put his coat in the middle seat, and he sat next to the window. So when anybody came by, you know, they saw the stuff there, and they're thinking, well, there's somebody sitting there. And so he was left all alone. He thought, oh, this is great. I'm going to be able to just relax and rest between meetings. And, and right at the end, just before they closed the door, a late passenger came on, a woman. And she was a businesswoman, had a leather briefcase and beautiful clothes. And she walked down, and she stopped at the aisle where my dad was sitting. And she looked down, and she said, anybody sitting here? And my dad said, no. Would you mind if I sit here? My dad said, no. So she sat down on the aisle seat. He's sitting by the window. And, you know, his coat and hat are in the middle. And um, so the doors close and they take off. And, and the woman says to my dad, would you like to read my magazine? And my dad said, no, thank you. Well, how about my newspaper? And my dad said, no, you know what? I'm really tired and... and um, I've had a busy week, and I've got another busy week ahead of me. If you don't mind, I'm just going to close my eyes and get a little rest. And so she got quiet, and he leaned against the bulkhead and put his head against the bulkhead and closed his eyes, and then the Lord started talking to my dad. My dad's name was Jack. Hey, Jack, you know, there's a woman sitting over there. Yeah, I know, of all places. You know, look at all the empty seats. Well, don't, don't you think you should say something to her? Lord, do you know where I've been? I've just been in Judea. You know where I'm going? I'm going to Galilee. We saw people get saved last week. We're going to get people get saved next week, but not here, not now. This is not the right place, not the right time. And besides, she seems kind of happy anyway. Maybe she's already saved. Um, have you ever had an argument with the Lord? Have you ever won? <laughs> so my dad repented, said, Lord, I'm sorry, and sat up, opened his eyes. And the minute he did, she said, oh, feeling better? <laughs> 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 and 
And so my dad started to talk. He asked her where she's from. She said, I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina. He said, oh, I've got a good friend in Charlotte. His name is Henderson Belk. He's got 400 department stores in the southeast. She said, you're kidding me. And my dad said, why do you say that? She said, I'm his secretary. And my dad said, well, have you seen anything different in your boss's life lately? She said, yeah, everybody in the office is talking about it. He got religion or something. And Henderson Belk had just come to Christ. And so my dad said, would you like to know what it is that happened to your boss? And so my dad got his Bible out, shared the gospel with that woman. And as he did, tears started to stream down her face. And behind that very well put together businesswoman, he found a broken heart and a broken home and a broken life. And so he prayed with her and he said, would you promise me? And they, they by the way, they were, um, they changed flights in, in Charlotte. She got out and he went on to the north and he said, would you do me a favor tomorrow, tomorrow when you go to work? Would you, uh, would you go in and see your boss and tell him about our conversation and ask your boss to tell you how God changed his life. And she did, and Henderson Belk led her to Christ the next day. Have you lost a proper sense of value? Have you lost a proper sense of mission? Have you lost a proper sense of vision, time, place, the wonder of your salvation? Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for this teaching from your word. Speak to our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.